Welcome to Moments with Marianne. I'm so delighted we're spending this time here today. We have a very inspiring show coming right up with special guest, Crystal Bird Farmer, and she's here to share with us her new book, The Token, Common Sense Ideas for Increasing Diversity in Your Organization. Crystal is an engineer turned educator, organizer, and speaker who focuses on diversity. She also serves on the editorial review board of Communities Magazine. So let's welcome to the show, Crystal Bird Farmer. Thanks for having me. What an honor it is to have you here to talk about this book. And I have to ask you, like, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, so I'm an organizer. I I work with co-housing communities and sex-positive communities. And um, a lot of times, since I'm a black woman, when I go to conferences or when I went to conferences pre-COVID, you know, to talk to these communities, one of the questions I got was, you know, how do I get more black people in my community? Why aren't they coming to our meetings? And um, I found myself kind of explaining um, some of the things I talk about in the book. So I decided to write the book just to save me some work. Well, I'm so glad that you wrote the book. And I think it's time, and we're in this great time in history, where people are looking at being more inclusive, I think, more than ever. Are you kind of finding that as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, People are starting to pay attention, um, and they're really wanting to figure out what they can do to be more inclusive. So what are some ways that people can be more inclusive in their homes, in their businesses, and in their communities? Yeah, so some of the things I talk about in the book are um, thinking about the way that identity works in your organization. So, um, you know, we're in America, and so most people in America, um, you know, are either black or white, Hispanic, um, Indian. You know, they have different ethnicities. They have gender. They have different sexualities. And um, a lot of times, if you're part of a majority, you don't always know what the minority is going through. And so... When you look at community me- meetings or um, business culture, you know, the the way that the majority works is always going to be kind of the accepted, assumed way of working. And if you um, start to think about ways that people feel excluded, then you can kind of think of ways that you can change your, your culture so that people feel more included. So during your work for this book and, and just the work that you've done with people that you work with, what are some of the ways that, you know, we're not as inclusive as we should be? And what are some ways that we can change that? Yeah, so um, some of the things are through microaggressions. So microaggressions are words or actions that make someone feel like the other. And so an example I like to give is, you know, I'm a black woman and sometimes people want to touch my hair, they want to make comments about my hair. Um, Another one is if you're not a native English speaker, so you speak English with an accent and you're you're here and people will comment on your accent, they'll ask what language you speak. Um, Those are really, you know, well-meaning questions and they're they're not coming from any any bad intentions. They're, you know, people are usually just trying to connect, but what they do is they they make you feel alienated. They um, kind of push you away. They kind of set you up as as some foreign entity that now you have to explain, you know, what my hair does and why it looks like this, or you have to explain what country you came from, and now you're aware that, you know, you don't you don't look like these people. You're not 
quite like these people, and maybe they're thinking that you're not um, a good fit for their organization. Nothing could be more wrong than that. I mean, it's with our diversity that makes us great. I couldn't imagine having it any other way than being diverse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you talk about diversity, uh, diversity training in organizations, I know you talk about the work. What is that and how does that really impact, you know, when we look at training in a, in a in, for some people, probably in a new way? Yeah, so the work is is what is usually called anti-oppression work or anti-racism work, and it's not so much um, attending a training and getting like a, a stamp of approval. It's a lot of internal work and a lot of um, shadow work and, and things that you have to think about as a person and the way that you've interacted with the world. So um, the three things that I lay out that are part of the work are dealing with privilege, bias, and microaggressions. So I talked about microaggressions, and and part of that is just being more aware of how you interact with people who are different from you. Um, When it comes to privilege and bias, that's all about your identity. Um, You know, when you have an identity, if you're white or black, there's going to be privilege associated with that, and that privilege isn't something that you worked for, isn't something earned, isn't something you can give away. It's just there because our culture is set up to, to benefit some people over others. So it's okay to recognize that, you know, if you're white, that some things might be easier for you because you're white. Um, it doesn't mean that your life is perfect and that you don't have any struggles, but it does mean that some of the challenges that black people have, you won't have. Um, so understanding that you do have privilege and in certain situations, um, that is an advantage for you. And then when it comes to bias, that's just the assumptions that we have about people that are related to their identity. So, you know, our brains just naturally categorize things into good, bad, whatever, when we see people. And if we're always acting on those assumptions instead of, you know, truly getting to know people, then we might be harming them. And harming ourselves as well, because when we really look at it, I mean, these assumptions, a lot of them are carried beliefs maybe from, you know, family members or, you know, it's something that's kind of not even, um, maybe not even fully discussed as why a person believes what they believe. Yeah, absolutely. It could come from the media. It could come from the way that you were brought up. And if you've never thought about, oh, I actually have these negative assumptions about people, then, you know, you, you never really realized how you may be acting on them. Yeah. I know in your book you talk about community feedback and why that's so important. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that with our listeners. Yeah, so I think it's important for um, organizations and people to reach out to the people that are actually in their community. So I'm in North Carolina. I live near Charlotte. You know, North Carolina has a large black population, a large Hispanic population. We don't have as many Asians. You know, we don't have a lot of people um, from Southeast Asia, but, you know, if I were in Portland, Oregon, then, you know, the, the demographics would be completely different. So it's hard for me sitting here in North Carolina to say exactly what an organization in Portland should do as far as being more inclusive and recruiting different people. So it's really important if you're an organization to go out to the people who are already leaders in the community around you. So that may be people at churches, you know, business owners, um, you know, if there's a, a community center that's maybe tailored for low-income people or tailored for a certain ethnicity, then you go to them and say, you know, 
what do you need in a community organization and, you know, how can I get your people to, to partner with my organization? Yeah, to really develop that partnership. And it's interesting when you look at it that way. I mean, there's so much that can be done from an organization level within different communities. Let's say you're working with a big company, a huge corporation that's in different parts of the country. They should probably take into consideration how their company is structured and what's happening in different areas as well. Yeah, it's important to be really responsive to the local community instead of Set it, you know, you can set policies from the top, but then you have to, you know, depend on people to to tailor it to whatever the community is so that people feel more comfortable where they are and they can kind of participate without having to, to hide part of themselves. Well, I'm so grateful we have your book because it really starts in many ways a long overdue discussion or brings to light, you know, how companies and just individuals and communities can come together in a new way. And I I know it's a discussion we've been having for a while, but it seems that, you know, a lot of times, you know, a book such as yours brings new perspective that, you know, maybe somebody hasn't considered before. And so it starts a new discussion on what can we do better? How can we do this better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, my book is, is written in a different style. It's a very short book. It's very honest. It has a lot about me and it as a person and, and my identity. And so I hope that that reaches people who may have never thought about, you know, ways that a black woman experiences the world or a disabled woman experiences the world. And I hope that helps them to start looking at other people in their lives and thinking about their experiences. Yeah. And just kind of considering, you know, just, you know, we're all on this beautiful planet together. I think it's, you know, it's we owe it to each other to learn as much as we can of one another and you know how we can come together as more of an overall community you know i want to touch on the t- the cover um the actual title of your book why did you call it token um i wanted to um kind of take on the the role of the token so you know in 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 our world, the token is somebody that represents one thing and, you know, it almost has a negative connotation where if you're the token, then you're the only one and, you know, you're kind of expected to represent all of that and explain all of that. And so I decided if I can, you know, put myself up as the token um, for black people, for LGBTQ people, if I can say, hey, I'm the token, call me your token, have me explain things, and maybe um, organizations and leaders will, will not look at the minorities in their community and say, hey, you, you know, you just happen to have that identity, so please explain it all to me, because that's that's work that, you know, they shouldn't be expected to do if they're just participating in it, you know. They they should learn from experienced leaders and speakers like me who can, can kind of give them everything they need without, you know, it interrupting my day doing my work. When you were doing your research for this book, was there anything that surprised you? Um, You know, I was very surprised at how a lot of progressive organizations haven't dealt with the, you know, the the realities of oppression and and racism. Um, You know, a lot of people are really well-meaning and they they think that, um, Everybody is equal and everybody should be treated with respect, but they may still be holding on to some ideas about black people, about people from other cultures that are harmful, you know, ideas that, you know, some people don't work as hard or some people aren't as um, willing to to 
fit into other cultures or some people, you know, don't know how to work with their hands um, and work the land. You know, so I came across a lot of harmful um, assumptions about people. And I, I, I was really surprised because a lot of progressives, like I said, think that, you know, they, they're helping promote equality. But when they have those harmful views, they're, they're actually pushing people away. Well, there are several things I love about your book, and one is it really puts people into action because it has this workbook uh, component to it where people can really get into groups and have discussions about different topics. Was that the intention when you wrote this book is to really move people more into action? Yeah, I didn't want to write, you know, a 300-page book just about theory. I wanted people to be able to take it, you know, they can just read a couple of chapters and immediately go and, you know, start a meeting and, and have these conversations with people in their community. So I wanted it to be really practical for people and not just to be so esoteric that, you know, people couldn't use it in their everyday lives. So in your book, you talk about culture-conscious meetings. What is that, and why would we want those? Yeah, so I I use the term culture-conscious meetings to say meetings that are more inclusive and more aware of of the ways that people experience the world. So I wanted to include that because those are really, really simple changes that you can make to help make a meeting accessible. Um, You know, some of the things might need a little bit more prep time, uh, more conversation, but a lot of them can just be done, you know, just from the leadership saying, this is what we're going to do to help more people feel included. So I talk about things all the way from, you know, helping people with disabilities feel more like they can access, they can access a meeting, um, such as if you are normally, you know, having a meeting where everybody sits on the floor, there may be people who have trouble getting up and, you know, sitting down from the floor. So offering them a chair or making sure that you have chairs available um, if you have someone with sensory sensitivity, someone may not be able to go to a meeting that has a lot of incense or, you know, certain types of scents in the air. So you can, you can eliminate that. Um, and then I go all the way through talking about pronouns that you have. If people want to introduce themselves with pronouns, then a way to handle that so that people feel like they're being included, but not that you're calling out um, the non-binary people that might be attending so I have a lot of examples of just ways that you can help be more inclusive without doing a whole lot of work. Yeah, you really kind of set it up so people will have a just a more of an open mind when it comes to this and the ability to set up events and meetings that work for everybody and don't, you know, we want to make sure everyone's included. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just making everybody feel more welcome. Are there some things that you see that, pe- like, I'm sure you see people make common mistakes all the time. You're like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, I mean, one example is I'm in North Carolina, so it's a southern state, and a lot of people like to hug when they, um, you know, first meet somebody. And in, in the book, I talk about some people don't like hugs. Some people are not big on physical contact. And then we have COVID now with, you know, some, some um 
precautions that we might need to take around that. So, you know, if you're a meeting leader, you know, you have somebody greeting people at the door, just just have them ask for consent. You know, can I give you a hug? Do you want a hug or a handshake? And that's something that will help people be able to choose kind of the level of interaction that they want, and you won't be forcing physical contact on people who aren't comfortable with them. Amen to that, because I'll tell you, having someone come and give me a hug that I don't know, while that's very sweet, I might not be wanting to get a hug from everybody. (laughs) Right, right. Well, it's interesting because I think having these ground rules set, you know, really respects everybody. And were there other ground rules that you felt that people really need to pay attention to as well? Yeah, um, I think it's really important for people to have a way to handle disputes before something comes up because when something comes up, you have a lot of emotions and, you know, people are are, um, are trying to get things fixed and they don't really have a lot of thought to it. So if you have a clear process for handling issues, so you have a way that people can communicate confidentially with the leadership, a way for leadership to evaluate and then make a decision about what to do, and then a way for the community to understand what's happening and and why something happened. Um, That's that's very important so that your people don't um, just think that the leadership is operating behind closed doors or that they have a vendetta against a particular person. As long as you have a clear and transparent process, then you can make sure that, you know, disputes are resolved, you know, whether it's something dealing with a boundary violation or abuse or if it's something as breaking community rules um, or, you know, if it's just somebody who's not a good fit for the organization. Yeah, it's so important because in that way, everyone feels that they're treated fairly, that some people aren't held to one standard versus, you know, maybe like the management team's held to one standard versus everybody else. You know, when there's that clear cut set of rules and how conflicts are handled, I think it helps a lot. Yeah, and I've been surprised at how many organizations don't kind of set that up at the beginning. They, you know, they're kind of idealistic about thinking that everybody's going to get along and that we're going to achieve all our goals. And then when conflict happens, you know, it's kind of like a crisis because, you know, you do like the people that you you want to be with and you, you don't want to fight them. But if you don't have a clear process for resolving conflicts and emotions might get into it, you might damage those relationships. Yeah, I I really liked how in one of the workbooks you talk about just the change that was having, you know, that would happen within the community or organization, and you look at the positive and negative ways that those would change. And I think it's so important because a lot of times people, you know, like you said, they they start organizations, we're wearing rosy glasses, we think everyone's going to get along when, you know, people are people. Yeah, and some people don't like change, probably a lot of people. So, um, you know, when you do kind of take on this work or, or decide to make changes in your organization, you might lose people, and sometimes you have to be okay with that. Sometimes you want to, you know, just make sure that those relationships are strong enough that they can kind of talk their way through the changes that then come around to it. So if we are with a company that maybe they're not as diverse as they probably should be, what are some ways to maybe approach it or maybe there's a a CEO of a company that's looking to add greater diversity? What are some things they should consider? Um, So I think they should consider the location. So like the example I gave, you know, Portland may not have, you know, equal numbers of different minorities, um, especially when it comes to race and ethnicity. 
So if you're going to try and get diversity, you want it to represent the area you're in. You don't want it to um, represent, you know, to you don't want to work so hard to get people that you're kind of excluding the good candidates that you already have. So it's important to know, you know, what the demographics of your community, your outer community are, and then how reasonable is it to get certain people, you know, especially if you're talking about um, the skills that are needed. You have to look at, you know, who's graduating with those skills, who's learning those skills, um, who's using them, who's currently in the industry. Um, and, you know, I, I used to be an engineer and there weren't a whole lot of black women in engineering. And, you know, you have to think about, you know, how do I get more women into engineering? But right now, if I'm trying to hire people, I just have to deal with, with what I have. So it's important to look at your community. It's also important to look at the people who are already in your organization, you know, get their feedback. What do they want? What do they see? You know, what are they having trouble with? If you have people who, you know, may be part of the minority, you know, are they comfortable there? Do they feel like they have a voice? Do they feel like they're being respected? And if they're not, then, you know, that's kind of some a signal that you need to stop right there and do some work in your with the people you already have instead of trying to bring more people in into an environment that's unsafe for them. Yeah, nothing like a toxic work environment, right? To yeah. <laughs> to start culti- you know, bringing people in and then realizing, oh gosh, you know, we've got some major changes that need to take place when maybe that should really start at the ground level. Yeah, a lot of times when people bring in diverse people, those people um, are, you know, hyper aware of some of the changes that need to happen. And so they might start saying, okay, I see this, I see that, you know, can you change it or it should be changed. And, you know, they're kind of looked as like a troublemaker because, oh, you're not fitting in. You're, you're suddenly pointing out all these problems. Um, and then they, they get, you know, dismissed from the organization because they're using their voice. So it's really important that you, you know, take a realistic look at your organization and say, you know, what problems do we have and what can we do to work on them so that we're not bringing in people and then, you know, ostracizing them for telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, how would you see a company, you know, start there? You got, you know, ABC Corporation that's going to start hiring, um, you know, their entire workforce and even perhaps like some of their executive team. What things would you want them to consider? Yeah, I think it's important for the leadership of any organization to look at themselves and kind of go through the process that I describe of thinking about privilege and your identity, thinking about the biases and the assumptions that you have about people and really examining that. You know, I think, you know, the 2020 showed us that it's important for organizations to be anti-racist, to be anti-oppression and to, to really take that on as an identity instead of just saying, oh, we're going to treat everybody equal. No, we're actually going to work against these forces that are that are keeping some people down. So it's important for the leadership to kind of all agree on that and then to do the work of, of getting to that point within themselves. And then they can um, kind of share that mission and that vision with the rest of the organization. I mean, I felt like your book, The Token, really had it's some really down to earth common sense thinking do you feel like a lot of people sometimes you know kind of miss it because not you know just because they when they set these organizations up they like common sense kind of goes by the wayside a little bit yeah i mean there's something about you know being a visionary and creating an organization that you know takes a little bit of step away from reality you know you have to kind of 
be an idealist. And, you know, it's also important to have people on your leadership team who are realists and who can kind of say, okay, well, this is what we want, but there are concrete steps that we need to take to get there. And I've always been that kind of person who's just very realistic and also very um, concrete. And I think in terms of, of actual things that need to happen from step to step instead of saying, okay, this is the goal. You know, I, I, I envy people who can think of the goal and kind of have that in mind because I'm usually thinking of all the downsides. Well, that's probably why you're so awesome at what you do, because you look at it from very unique perspectives that perhaps most people miss. And there are things that we really need to be paying attention to. Yeah, well, I hope the book um, kind of shows a little bit of that perspective. I People have always told me that I, I usually bring a different perspective and that I'm gentle with some of the hard truths. So I, I, I'm glad I can put that skill to use. Now, Crystal, do you work with organizations? Do they have you come out to help them set up their structure or rebrand or just kind of uh, look at a new approach on how they have their business set up? Yeah, I usually work with established organizations, and they are looking to create more diversity. Um, Sometimes it it goes backwards, where it's like, okay, I see that you're wanting more diverse people, but let's look at your vision and mission statement. Let's look at some of the company culture that you have and and figure out what can you do to make it a better place for your current employees. So um, usually, you know, the intention is let's move forward, but sometimes we have to go backward a little bit to do that work. Well, nothing like this year to do that, right? <laughs> so, right. Definitely. I mean, start of a new year, you can start your business off on you know a new slate and look at how you can improve things, not just for the company, but all the way around. And gosh, I'm sure corporations do tremendously better when everyone's happy at their work. Yeah, it's really important for people to feel like they can show up and and be their whole selves. They don't have to hide. They don't have to tone down parts of themselves. But, you know, that people will respect them no matter what their identity is. Yeah, that's such a big piece. What do you want readers to take away from your book? Um, I think I want people to know that they don't have to be perfect. You know, they're not going to get everything right. Um, You know, like I said, even progressive people are sometimes getting things wrong. So I don't want people to think that they're all wrong and they're all bad and that they're failing at this. I want them to think as long as they're doing the work and taking steps to get better, that they are doing the good work. It's really, you know, doing the action, doing the work. And gosh, this book is such a great resource because it really helps people not only to dive in and look at how the culture is, what's going on currently, but really dive into some of these questions that you have, which I really liked. Is there um, a workbook section that really stands out for you that you're like, hey, I, I feel this one really hits home for just about everybody? Um, there's there's one section that is really um, intense, and this is a section when you're talking to your tokens and the majority people separately. And so, you know, in the book, I talk about the tokens. I say, you're identifying the people who are in the minority in your organization. And you're really sitting with them and asking, you know, what has gone wrong? 
what do you need? And that can be really revealing for an organization when those people talk about the hurts that they may experience or the ways that they felt like they were disrespected while being at the organization. And that can be really painful to hear, but it's important that you think about that in terms of how can we fix the whole culture? How can we fix the system so that they don't experience that ever again? So I think that's really important work to do is just to, to sit with that and understand that people may have had harm and that you, you're responsible for fixing that harm. Yeah. I mean, it really requires that if someone's in pain, we need to hear what that's about. So we stop that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, my goodness, Crystal, we can talk forever. I felt your book, The Token, was a great book and it's going to help so many organizations and people and communities. Where can our listeners connect with you and be part of your community and learn more about your work? Um, so I'm on social media. Um, I have a Twitter handle at Crystal B Farmer. Um, Facebook is at Crystal Bird Farmer. My website is CrystalBirdFarmer.com, and I usually spell it out. So it's spelled C R Y S T A L B Y R D F A R M E R dot com. And then um, you know that's how you can stay in touch with me in the newsletter and see all the different conferences and events that I'll be at really something to pay attention to there. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us here today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Crystal. It has been such an honor to spend this time with you and to talk about your new book, The Token. The Token's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all indie retailers. And if you don't see it on the shelf, ask for them to order it. And of course, it's available on Kindle. Again, if you'd like to connect with Crystal, you can at crystalbirdfarmer.com for more information. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. You're listening to Moments with Marianne. And remember, make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Moments with Marianne airs every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.